Hello guys, how's it going? Welcome to the Not The Top 20 podcast playoff final weekend preview sponsored by Betfair. This is the weekend where heroes are made. It's the weekend that we spend nine months looking forward to. George, I want to bill it as the best weekend of the year and yet... Last weekend, the playoff semi-final second leg weekend will take some beating. Yeah, I'm definitely up for it. Um, it. It will take some beating. The amount of drama and the goal volume from the semis means expectations coming into this one is quite high. And in doing the research for this podcast, normally going into any um, playoff final weekend, I would be looking at ways that I can get against goals because classically these games aren't thrillers. But after what we've seen from Blackpool, from Lincoln, from Newport and from Morecambe, especially those four teams, I think it takes quite a brave man to think this is going to be, um, these are going to be dour affairs because their games were so end to end in the playoff semis. It feels like they only know one way to play. So it's yeah. I mean, I'm I'm incredibly excited for what could also be a playoff final weekend where there's a lot uh, at stake, but also where the games might not just be really cagey, one nil and nil nils. 1998, Charlton four, Sunderland four. Sorry to bring it up, Sunderland fans, but that is the highest scoring playoff final record. So nine goals or more to beat. Uh, and three games to preview on this podcast. We are, once again, George, delighted to be sponsored by Betfair. Yeah, great to be sponsored by Betfair again uh, for this podcast. Those who didn't listen to the semis, uh, they've got a sportsbook and an exchange. I bet with them and have done um, since I was 18 years old. The sportsbook offering great odds and a variation, like a really wide variety of prices for the EFL, including the bet builder function um, and the exchange enables you to not only back selections, normally at bigger prices really than, than what you're being offered by sportsbooks because um, you can also lay, which means the bets you're taking uh, are actually put up there by somebody else. And Ali, you you suffered the good, the bad um, and the ugly. I think the bad and the ugly were probably the same thing here with, with your lay betting uh, over last week. Yeah, it was good in public and poor in private. Uh, I, <laughs> I, I laid Sunderland, didn't I, on the semi-final preview show. Um, which felt good for most of the weekend, certainly for three of the four halves of the Lincoln-Sunderland semi-final. Uh, we did get a little bit worried uh, when Sunderland came flying back into it. That was a winner, but then and I was convinced on Saturday night that Phil Mickelson was not <laughs> going to win the US Open, uh, and I decided to put a layup on the exchange and uh, was pretty disappointed 24 hours later when he absolutely <laughs> cruised it. I just had like the last four years of Phil Mickelson in my mind, and I was convinced that his body wouldn't be able to go with one more round but that was a, a good reminder of the risks that come with betting this podcast being as it is a something of a, a rare hybrid show for us we're mixing the monday podcast and the betting show together for this playoff preview so while we will be generally analyzing all three games we'll also be making some betting selections that does mean that this podcast is for over 18s only and we ask that anyone listening be gamble aware and understand the risks that come with betting of course we're going to start in the championship we're going to start with the championship playoff final between Brent Brentford and Swansea. This is a repeat of last season's semi-final in the championship in which Brentford overturned a 1-0 first leg deficit to win 3-2 on aggregate, just like they did uh, this season against Bournemouth. Of course, Brentford went on to lose that playoff final to Fulham. And there's been a nice little mini rivalry building because of that over the last two seasons. Both regular season games finished 1-1. Although because of the formation switch that both teams have experienced in the last few months of the season, uh, it's one of those where how predictive can those regular season games be when Swansea were playing their patented early season 3-5-2 for both of them uh, and Brentford their slightly less patented 4-3-3 and here we are uh, having completely flipped that on its head. Uh, before we get into it, I'm always interested because I'm someone with very strong opinions about who should be favourite and who should be the outsiders and everyone listening will normally have their opinions as well based on all sorts of things but uh, the bookies have their own opinions in the form of, of odds, George. What are Betford? There's odds for the Brentford Swansea playoff final. Well, we'll take the exchange prices here because, you know, it's one of the biggest games in European football to get into the Premier League. So unsurprisingly, despite the fact we're recording this on Wednesday afternoon and the game is until Saturday, it's a pretty liquid market with loads of liquidity in there. And Brentford are 1.94 to win the game in 90 minutes. So odds on just a touch bigger than 10 to 11, that is in fractional uh, terms. Swansea are 4 
3.7, so just a bit bigger than seven or two to back the draw, 3.55, so five to two. Those are the prices in 90 minutes. If you're looking for just promotion, Brentford 1.48, so just a shade under two on, and Swansea 3.0, so basically two to one before commission um, there. So, so of the three this weekend, Brentford, the strongest favourites, I think, in all three yes, playoff finals. Correct. That's interesting. Correct. Yeah. Um, it is interesting, and, and I guess it's not that surprising. Um, the only possibly surprising thing for me about the prices is they haven't really seemed to have changed at all after what we saw in the semi-finals, if that makes sense. I think if these two teams had been drawn together pre-semi-final um, for a one-off final the prices would have been the same, judging on what their, both their market prices were in the early games. With Swansea, pretty much pick them with, with Barnsley uh, on the day and Brentford, obviously, heavy favourites against um, against Bournemouth. And that's interesting for me because I I mean, I think anybody who thinks that Swansea are the likely winners are wrong, basically. Like, not even... not even. It's, I don't think it's even a subjective conversation, really. I think I think Brentford are are more likely to win this game. But that doesn't necessarily mean that Swansea aren't the value here because we saw in the two games, Brentford's were 2-0 down on aggregate against Bournemouth. One goal of which didn't really strike me as a side who you really want to trust at the moment to be backing it under under 2-1 to qualify given they sent 10 men up for a corner (laughs) after five minutes um, and leaving a a fully-fledged international, one of the best footballers in the whole league um, on his own in the whole half to run into. Um, It also doesn't really seem to take into account the fact that Swansea had been in really poor form coming into the playoffs and were up against the Barnsley side who had been in very, very good form and were pretty much good value for their aggregate win. Maybe not in terms of what they did going forward, but certainly defensively, they didn't really let a Barnsley side who'd been fairly rampant get much change and, and given that we saw Swansea was such a good defensive side early in the campaign and then went through this period where they went from being a possible record setter for defensive numbers to being basically quite bad defensively for the second half of the season a return to that kind of form has me definitely wondering if Swansea should just be a little bit shorter both to win the game and to win promotion I'm not necessarily saying that's from tipping but that's kind of looking at these these kind of bigger prices, the, the main two prices around the match. I think I'd rather be on Swansea than Brentford at the, mm-hmm. where they are now. Well, I'm keen to, to unpick how you think the game will go itself. Uh, a little bit of, of team news to start with. I think that's very rare on a Not The Top 20 podcast, but that's how seriously we take these playoff finals. Uh, Brentford will be assessing Rico Henry and Christian Norgard. Henry, of course, had been injured for the last few months of the season, came back and we saw him briefly in the first leg of the semi-final, but not at all in the second half of the semi-final. Norgard himself having been uh, very comfortable at the heart of this new Brentford back three, rather than sitting in front of it as the holding midfielder, then got injured in the warm-up on Saturday for the second leg. Uh, And so I I do not know whether those guys will be available. Josh De Silva, sadly, is also a a long-term absentee. And, uh, you know, I always think with these finals, there's going to be a lot of fresh eyes, a lot of neutrals, a lot of maybe Premier League followers who don't follow the EFL, who watch these games. And it's always a shame when a player like Josh De Silva is out injured because, uh, yeah, he's he's, uh, one of the great championship players to watch in full flow. Wayne Routledge is also out, and that is a big shame because he's played a huge, huge part uh, of Swansea City's modern history, of course, and was playing brilliantly in the second leg, doing a brilliant job against Barnsley before he was stretched off. Now, in the first leg, it was Cullen that started up front in a front three with Ayu and with Lowe. So perhaps Cullen will come back in and it'll be the same front three as it was in that first leg. But when Routledge came off, albeit they were defending a lead at that point, and Connor Roberts came on, generally a right back or a right wing back, he was the one that, that came on for Routledge. So one one real question mark for Steve Cooper, who comes in for the injured Wayne Routledge. But this is a man who does not like using his bench, who really trusts his starting eleven to do the business. Brentford, uh, almost the opposite. They're a team that tend to use their bench, I would suggest, 
in this match. We'll see Brentford making use of a, a lot of bench options, either to shake things up tactically, but more just to keep the pressure on, more to keep the intensity high. You know, they have a lot of very flexible players who can play in a number of different positions. Um, and in this 3-5-2 formation that they play, uh, a lot of players that suit a lot of different roles. Whereas Cooper Swans, um, much more, yeah, first team focused um, and I don't expect to see him use the bench to quite the same extent what are your general thoughts about how this game will look I guess is a in, in I guess in the in a tactical sense or just in terms of the flow of the game because I mean playoff final as well as just I, I like looking at individual team tactics George but you can tell me plenty about how playoff finals look and it's often easy to forget that we shouldn't just expect them to look like an average league game in you know in March <clears throat> yeah, I mean, they're generally very cagey. Um, and I think there's no reason why this game wouldn't follow suit with that. Um, these are two managers in Thomas Frank and Steve Cooper, who over the course of their tenures at the two clubs, which have undoubtedly been successful and have seen their teams progress despite losing key players. We've seen them both change the playing style kind of in a way that almost mirrors each other. You know, Brentford were a side that under Dean Smith were a high pressing team who liked to control games on the front foot with the ball. Now they're still a possession based team. Don't get me wrong, but they are not that anymore. They're not a team who necessarily look to press at all times. They're not necessarily a team who like to keep the ball for, for the sake of it. They're more, they're, they're more direct in their possession, let's say, and they probably play a little bit wider as well. And, and for Swansea, it's the same, you know, under Potter, we saw Matt Grime has basically set records for the amount of passes made during games. And, and even though, the, the progress was more gradual and it looked to start with like Cooper was going to be a continuation of that. Um, and, and whilst they are still a side who can look very comfortable in possession at times, they're more pragmatic than that now. Um, they are not, again, a side who necessarily look to do that. Um, Andre Ayew and Jamal Lowe as two, well, as the two main goal threats, um, both thrive when there's space in behind with which to run into and, and therefore controlling the, the game in the opposition's half doesn't really help them to that extent. So, for that reason, I think this could could really well either be there for one of the teams to take the initiative, or it could more likely just just become very very cagey indeed, um, with both sides basically ensuring that they do not um, that they do not gift away any chances. I mean, the one area that I think is interesting for Swansea is now, as you mentioned, the fact they're playing this kind of three um, up front system with. Are you a low wider than they were when they were playing a two? I mean, that worked well against Barnsley because you, in, in Britain and Styles, you've got two fullbacks who, who look to push very high up the pitch. And that is that's exactly the same with Brentford. Um, so I think Brentford are going to have to look either to rein in. I mean, we have no idea who the hell's going to start as, as wing back given all the different options. We don't know what's happened. Um, with Norgard and, uh, and and Ross Lev after the first leg. We don't know if, if Henry's going to be fit. We don't know who's going to play there. But that means of of getting on the front foot by using those wing-backs is going to be a very, very dangerous game for them to play given the strengths that Swansea have, which could, I guess, play out in maybe a more flat-back five for, for Brentford with maybe them controlling the game in possession, um, probably not very high up the pitch. All this kind of gets me towards my first bet which unsurprisingly is nil nil at half time 11 to 8 um, well, it worked for you in the first leg in Brentford Bournemouth didn't it yeah I, I just think this is a game where stylistically and also just the the onus is fully going to be on um, both teams ensuring that they don't go in behind at half time um, as I say it, it, there's a chance I guess that one team could kind of try and seize upon the other's um, reticence to attack by trying to take the initiative. But, you know, that that's just a massive guess. And if someone does that, then fair play to them. Um, I think that just is a value bet. I, I'm, I'd be interested to know if you bat 0-0 at half-time at 11-8 to 8 in every championship playoff final since it was the championship, what the PL would be. I'm sure someone could. I mean, I'm sure it wouldn't even take me that long to work it out. Um, but that is the first selection for me. And the second one will follow, which kind of follows a similar theme. I certainly agree with you that uh, that space outside of Brentford's outside centre-backs, um, you'd think it'd be Pinnock on the left-hand side. And as you say, difficult to predict who it'll be on the right-hand side. That'll be where Swansea will be looking to hit low and IU like they did uh, against Barnsley. Of course, Barnsley provided one very specific and very intense threat to Swansea um, and Swansea coped with it brilliantly. Now, Brentford, 
play a similar shape on paper in terms of three at the back and wing backs, um, but very different in terms of build up play and how they'll look to hurt Swan. So it's going to be another game, I think, where Swansea will have less of the ball. I'm sure Brentford will have the higher possession share. That's not to say that Swansea are just a, a hoof it and hope team by any means. They have very technical midfield players and they, they're very comfortable with the ball. I wouldn't be worried, put it this way, um, about them holding onto the ball for a while and just slowing things down a bit. But I guess my feeling is that Brentford and their manager are going to try and push things a little more in the final third. Probably not in the first half, of, as you've said, but they just have such self-confidence, I think, Brentford, in the way that they attack. Now, it's not boneheaded uh, self-confidence, which maybe in previous years you felt like they were really soft because they were just so all out attack. That's certainly not the case now. And Brentford's defensive record is you know, as good as Swansea's, basically. So um, it's, a re- it's a really interesting one, uh, I must admit. Um, of course, while... Low and Ayu will be looking to hit the space vacated by the by the wingbacks going forward. If the wingbacks are going forward, then they probably have a job to do to track them as well. So that's going to be a really interesting sort of tactical moment. Bit of cat and mouse between um, Ayu and Low, the wide forwards of Swansea, and the wingbacks of, of Brentford. It's a great game for, for the interested tactical fan, I think. Cooper and Frank, both keen tacticians. Both managers we rate very, very highly. In fact, Steve Cooper is developing a bit of a reputation specifically for his tactical setups and game plans in individual games. And that could be, you know, a big moment for this. I I want to ask about key men, key players. We've touched on a few of them, but I would suggest Steve Cooper himself. It sounds weird. I probably wouldn't say this for most other of the, of the games. He could be the key man, you know, if he pulls off another masterclass and if his players, you know, execute that game plan that he sets up, then he will be getting a lot of credit. Of course, if Swansea win, Um, that's not to say that Thomas Frank wouldn't, but probably to a slightly lesser extent, I think, um, Swansea at the back, obviously Gwehi and Cabango were magnificent across two legs. Gwehi, in particular, winning man of the match in both games. Ayu uh, up top, called him a one-man wrecking ball in the preview, didn't I? Picked him to score first at 13-2, to which was a nice winner. As well was as was the Danjuma Ayu double first goal wow. scorer pick at just over 50-1, to which was a lovely start to a playoff semi-final week. Um, and for Brentford, I mean, Tony... You'd say the key man for obvious reasons, that the sheer volume of goals that he scored this season and the amount of goals he set up as well. Wouldn't say he necessarily sparkled in the semi-final. Um, him and Guehi and Cabango, that's going to be a really tasty one, though. He's going to want, you know, he's 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 so self-confident, he's going to want to impose himself. There's no doubt about that, even if he maybe was a little quieter in the semi-finals than we might expect. And outside of him with Brentford, it's, it's quite hard to pick another star man, isn't it? Because they've got a lot of players on a similar level in my head. Players who, who can be match winners, like a Jensen, a Marconde, a Fosu, a force, of course, that we've seen. But equally, sometimes we'll have quiet games, guys that you can't necessarily guarantee will will light up Wembley this weekend. Uh, and then there's big game Pontus as well. <laughs> yeah, you, you mentioned Cooper. I think often going into these 90-minute um, winner-takes-all situations, you have to weigh up the dugout and who's in it and who you kind of fancy to, to, to go better. Uh, last season, I definitely would have fancied Frank over Parker and um, not for the first time during the playoffs. It was made to look fairly foolish by Scott Parker, who masterminded a, a, a brilliant performance and an excellent win. And I wonder if Cooper will look at the way that Swansea, sorry, look at the way that Fulham last season just completely suffocated that game and, and pressed Brentford into oblivion um, in order to, to to follow that kind of route here, um, which should slightly be against their normal game plan. Um, and Frank, as you've kind of alluded to there, has so many decisions to make in, in terms of team um, news. You know, you, you assume that Cullen's probably going to come in for outlage and that the rest of the team basically picks itself for, for Swansea. For... Um, for for Brentford and for Frank, you've got, you know, Force who comes off the bench and scores the goal to send them to Wembley. Do you then bench him for the next game? You've got Marcondes who came in and played really well for Fosu. So do you stick with that? Again, the, the injury issue to Norgard, so we don't know what's going to happen there. And Bomo struggling really again to influence games the way that you'd want him to started last time. Do you give him another run out? There's a lot of I think in Bomo difficult... I personally think in Bomo will start. I think he was you know, he obviously instigated the Mep and Red card. It, yeah, it, it's well I think I think Chris Meppen instigated the Meppen red card. Well, sure, but um, <laughs> but and Burmo's speed, and I I feel like that's the way to go from the start. I also felt that Force coming on, you know, so Force started the first leg um, when it was all very even and very tight, and and most of the game was being played in a fairly balanced manner, and Force really struggled to impact it because his 
his big skill, his finishing ability is poaching in the box and, and Brentford didn't really get that close to Bournemouth's box for, for most of that game and his hold-up play was poor. He didn't really impact the game out of position. He, he doesn't really have the, the pace that Mbermo has to just be a nuisance to the same extent. And it worked perfectly in the second half where Mbermo started, he was able to be an absolute nuisance for the first, I can't remember exactly when Force came on, but in the second half when Bees were really pushing, when they knew that they were going to spend the majority of that time, and that's because Bournemouth were down to 10 men, uh, you know, camped in their final third. That's where you can afford to have a force who's probably not going to do anything outside of sniff out a chance and take it and send you to Wembley. So a, an interesting one. I mean, yeah, I I, I suspect that Mbomo would start, but you probably shouldn't uh, try and second guess Thomas Frank. Just a, a last one before we go through predictions and, and betting picks. I mean, I think it's nice to to explain to anyone who's listening to these preview shows who maybe doesn't follow these teams, uh, not just these, but the, the, the guys in League One, League Two as well, like what this would mean for an individual team. And I'm sure we'll touch on this a little bit after the game, but it's, it's good just to contextualise, I think, these fixtures. I mean, for Brentford, this, and this is very much if they win, of course, this would be a culmination of basically a decade of work since Matthew Benham became majority shareholder in 2012 a point where Brentford started to think differently to the majority of other clubs in English football and certainly in the EFL, and from which point they have got stronger every single season in ways that go against the grain of how you think a club should get stronger every single season, certainly in terms of how they have bought and sold and traded players and and made money and strengthened uh, every summer. And for Swansea, I mean, it would be a return to the Premier League where they spent seven seasons But in going back up, I think this will be the culmination of them really doing it the hard way. And I mean that with great respect, taking a a really different approach to Premier League relegation than pretty much any other team I can think of in the last five years. Now, there's a fine line between cost-cutting, lack of ambition and being sensible and being smart and wanting to not risk the future of a club. But... Swansea over the last three seasons, I mean, since they've been relegated, that that year they uh, spent seven million and they brought fifty-five million in. Then last season, thirty-five million brought in, five hundred k spent. Then this season, fourteen million brought in, two million pounds spent. So with Brentford clearly being the net spend champions of the championship, right? I think over the last three seasons we're looking at over a hundred million brought in and probably around forty, fifty million spent. This, whoever wins, basically, this is a win for thinking differently, for doing things properly. It's a win for good coaching appointments, good player development, um, non-trigger happy ownership, not relying on the quick fix of transfer spend to generate success. And I just think with Swansea, it must have been tough for fans over the last few years. I think we're kind of conditioned to see selling players and not replacing them with someone of the same reputation or someone of the same transfer fee as a lack of ambition. But, well, we'll wait and see how it plays out. But I just thought that was worth pointing out because, you know, we often talk about parachute payments and the way that they are misused by clubs. And I feel like Swansea have kind of bucked that trend. And in doing so, they've made the playoffs two of the three seasons they've been down. And, yeah, it's just uh, something I wanted to point out. Clubs doing things the right way, dare I say, is quite a nice touch. Now... For the really important bit, the picks and the predictions. Now, uh, in terms of the semi-finals, I think it's always worth pointing out the ones that went well and certainly the ones that didn't go well. We wouldn't want it to feel like we're only celebrating the ones that came in. I mean, Swansea absolutely laughed in the face of of all of our Barnsley-based picks in that game. Um, Daryl DK missing a pretty good chance in the first leg kind of summed it up. Um, and obviously that RU pick was a was a good winner as well. In Brentford-Bournemouth, you nailed your nap of nil-nil at half-time, 7-4. to four. Um, I felt Brentford would be the stronger in the second half and win that game. That didn't transpire. What do you think about this game? Uh, what are your betting picks for this playoff final? Yeah, as I mentioned, repeating the trick, I think, with the nil-nil at half-time at 11-8, that's probably the main one. I'm also going to back under one and a half goals at 8-5. to five. Um the thinking there as well is that both of these teams have proven quite regularly over the course of the season that they are pretty good at sitting at Leeds. Now, I think Brentford fans would quiver to hear me saying that given situations they've been in uh, in the recent past looking to get into the Premier League. Um, but I do think that both sides, if taking the lead, um, would be pretty good value to 
hold on to that. Um, obviously, the later they score, the better, hopefully in the second half. So they're my two lines of attack here. Yeah, of course, Brentford playing in their 10th playoff campaign. They've never been promoted. So one game away from putting an end to that most unwanted of records, the worst playoff record in, in English football, I believe, certainly um, outside of non-league anyway, or above non-league. Um, I think that Brentford are the most likely winners of the game uh, in probability terms. Now, of course, as we know, the bookmakers think that probably stronger than I do. And that's why I'm not going to pick them to win because I find their odds eye-wateringly short for a fixture that chucks up so much every year. Uh, I don't think there's any value really in backing Brentford. I do see where you're coming from with the nil-nil at halftime at 11-8. to uh, I'm probably going to pick just the halftime draw at 10-11. to Sort of, I, I, I probably shouldn't, I shouldn't have this at the back of my mind, but when, when you see goals like Ayu scored in the first leg, and the goal that Grimes scored in the second leg and the quality of players that Brentford have, I'm always just very wary that these guys have flashes of inspiration in them. So I'm just going to go a little safer and back the halftime draw at, at 10 to 11, expecting it to be nil-nil, but also being wary of, of moments of quality. I don't expect some really open, crazy game in the first half. And then my second selection is just a, a long shot, really. Um, I'm going to back Swansea to win to nil at 6-1, to one, just because... I'm kind of paying respect to the championship playoff final here as much as anything else and how often it, it can make you look like a fool because it is such a such a unique game, basically. It's such a unique fixture in, in, in the footballing world. And I think if Swansea do win, it's likely to be this way, uh, a 1-0 or possibly a 2-0 win, whether it's frustrating Brentford locking it down out of possession like they did against Barnsley, brilliant game plan, brilliant shape, Cooper masterclass, Gwehi and Kambango, Imperius at the back, Woodman making big saves, Ayu or Harahan or Grimes scoring a rocket, possibly Jamal Lowe. He really does street clear on the break, doesn't he? I could see that happening as Brentford push players forward. So I just think if Swansea win this game, it will be to nil. And so that's going to be my second pick at six to one. Yeah, I just wanted to point out again um, that with the bet builder, you can add your picks together. So if you wanted to bet both nil-nil at halftime and under one and a half, you could do so um, by putting them both in your bet slip. And that is uh, 3.38, so just over two to one or just over nine to four, I should say. And then the one other thing that I might, because I agree with you about, well, I'd go further than you. I think Swansea a value to win in 90 minutes. Um, as you say there, you said your one nil bet. So I'll, I haven't decided yet if I'll do it. If I do, I should probably do it quite nil, soon. Rather than one nil. Winter Sorry, nil. winter nil. Yeah. Um, I don't mind the play of backing Swansea at 4.7 on the exchange and then maybe seeing, because given how cagey it's going to be, if I'm right, they could be a fair bit shorter to win in 90, 20, 30 minutes into the game where you might be able to close your position and just sit on a nice free bet of Swansea to win. Because I, I just don't think... Obviously, the draw will shorten, but I just can't see. Well, I, th I think it's likely that this one's going to be shorter for the win um, after a, a, a small period of the first half. Okay, there we go. Time to talk League One now. Uh, we've got Blackpool against Lincoln City, and we're pretty excited uh, about this one in the semi finals, which we previewed last week. Both ties were absolutely excellent. We reviewed them on this week's Monday podcast. Blackpool beat Oxford 6-3 on aggregate, 3-0 winning in front of my friend and colleague George Ellick at the Kassam uh, and then a mad 3-0 draw on Friday night to see through a 6-3 aggregate win. And now Lincoln, for their part, won 2-0 at Sinsel Bank in the first leg, went up to the Stadium of Light and by half-time in the second leg, it was back to 2-2. We were back at square one before they pulled clear. They got stronger. They made the tweaks that were needed. They sharpened their minds. They got rid of any nerves that they had and they, they did the business. So Lincoln basically having three very good halves of, of semi-final action and one terrible half. As for our picks uh, of those games, they went quite well, but certainly not perfect. Um, you correctly call, called goals in Blackpool against Oxford and I'd also backed Blackpool at 19 to 10 to win that game uh, to qualify 8 to 11 although I didn't get the correct score which I went for 1-0 Blackpool your Sunderland picks weren't great although I saw where you were coming from and I backed one all in the first leg for Lincoln Sunderland which didn't come in I did obviously lay Sunderland for promotion as well so that was a, um, a, a small ray of sunshine George what do the odds say about Blackpool Lincoln City Sunday 3pm Wembley Stadium 
you're looking at the Betfair sports book prices here, the exchange market's still kind of building as we speak. And Blackpool are the five to four favourites to win a 90, the draw 11 to five, Lincoln nine to four to win the game. And then looking at promotion, just two teams left, of course, and Blackpool are four to seven to go up, Lincoln five to four. So Blackpool not quite as short as Brentford, but still pretty heavy favourites coming into this League One tie. The regular season games between these two were very lively indeed, I must say. Uh, early on in the season, I think it was early October, Lincoln won 3-2 uh, and Blackpool were 2-1 up in that game with 10 minutes to go before a red card followed by two Lincoln goals for the Imps taking all three points and then a 2 all draw much closer to this fixture. Mid-April it was, Blackpool were 2-0 up and cruising and Lincoln came back strong. Scully and Brennan Johnson scoring late to level it. So more drama, please, at Wembley on Sunday. It's also a really nice one for us to preview because in Lincoln City and Blackpool, you have two sides who would massively deserve promotion and would take a lot of credit for earning it. Um, in terms of their individual stories, both brilliant. Lincoln City would be going from, well, they played their last National League game as they won promotion uh, for years and one month ago so they would play a championship game four and a half years after their last non-league game now that is very much football manager stuff rather than real life stuff but it speaks to not only the job that Danny and Nicky Cowley did for that club but also the excellent appointment of Michael Appleton and what he has done to take their good work and mold it into something quite spectacular and of course you have said more than enough about the skills and strengths uh, of Michael Appleton but he certainly has shown that you can compete on a smaller budget in League One and not just by playing underdog style football as well they play some really good stuff it would be an incredible incredible story if Lincoln were to win promotion but you have to say the same about Blackpool because Blackpool's recent history might be the most dramatic in some ways uh, of any team in the EFL and I mean that just in terms of on pitch just as much as off pitch but of course those things have gone hand in hand you know Blackpool were in the Premier League 10 seasons ago they got relegated from the Premier League I think they're still remembered very fondly by those who followed the Premier League that season for their performances they then bopped around the championship for four years before being relegated twice in two years all the way down to League Two uh, and then winning promotion straight away from League Two back up to League One via the playoffs of course against Exeter at Wembley in 2017, the same month that Lincoln were winning promotion from the National League. So they've been through the ringer as well, off the field, going through uh, the Oyston family debacle. Um, they are very litigious, that family, so I'm not going to say any more about that. But they have an amazing owner now, Simon Sadler. I'm going to see you for saying that they're litigious. Maybe. Can you? Oh, God, I hope not. <laughs> now their owner is Simon Sadler, and I can't imagine there are many po more popular owners um, Lincoln City fans might argue in the EFL because what he's done since he took over and the state of the club when he took over has been magnificent. So we'd be happy either way with whoever wins this game. Blackpool, of course, made another brilliant appointment just like Lincoln did. Neil Critchley has been sensational this season. They recruited heavily last summer. They brought in a lot of players and Critchley is the one that's moulded them into a team that became, frankly, a winning machine from mid-October onwards. So there's a little bit of context about these two sides and it's why I'm, I'm speaking about this game with great enthusiasm because I really like both teams. And George, I'm interested to know how you think this game will play out on the big old Wembley Stadium pitch. <clears throat> it... it... It's one of the most interesting, well, it's probably the most interesting of the three games to try and work out because with Blackpool, you have a side who, as we've often said, are built upon a very, very good defence and have been for most of the season, despite having to change the personnel in, the, in their defence on and off, except for Chris Maxwell throughout the whole campaign. And despite what a 6-3 aggregate win might suggest. Well, that was... that's what I was going to say, yeah. And and the fact they come into this off, off, on the back of a 6-3 aggregate win. Um, having been at the game for the first leg and completely conceding that Blackpool were the better side and, and deserved their win, and they, you know, they probably had the two best chances of the game beyond the three goals that they scored. Being a fan at that game, watching my team losing it, often when you lose games 3-0, you, you leave them and you think to yourself, yeah, that was, 
we didn't get near them and it, it it wasn't like that it felt like at times in the game they were there for the taking and we didn't take that chance i mean sykes's one-on-one was, was was the obvious example there and a couple of other, of other opportunities getting behind and a couple of clearances that fell to them and, and what i'm trying to get at here is that whilst i do think blackpool are very good i think that a good attacking side a better attacking side maybe than oxford's um will be able to break them down. And maybe we saw that in the second leg with three goals that were fairly avoidable, I would say, um, two of which were from set pieces, maybe even three. I can't remember the Shadipo goal came from a set piece. Um, so I think they're there to be got at. And when you look at the personnel in both teams, in terms of attacking personnel, I think you've got, in Ellis Sims, you've got a player who's, who's, who's just definitely too good for League One and should at least be getting a championship loan next, next season. Um, what are you laughing at? <laughs> just laughing at it's sort of like it's a massive compliment. There was a slight undertone of bitterness that you just see, seen him dismantle your back line on uh, in that first leg in, I mean, in front was, of your eyes, and it's just a bit like I'd like to report this. He's this too is unfair. Good. He's too good. Correct. Yeah, I mean he he is he is too good for the level, and it's an amazing pickup in January from from the Blackpool recruitment team to get him. Um, Jerry Yates, I think, will certainly have offers to play Championship football next season if he isn't doing so with Blackpool or if he is. And then in Brennan Johnson and Morgan Rogers, you've got two guys who, you know, their their, their long-term future could be absolutely anything and their short-term future is 100% not in League One. So feasibly, you've got four players there who, I mean, I would say Yates' ceiling is probably the lowest, but who are all probably championship footballers now coming into this game. And then you add to that, you know, Scully's been great goal-scoring form uh, in the season. You've got George Grant, of course, who's a, brilliant technical player like there's a lot of talent in these sides going forwards and that I think will be crucial here and I'm always pretty loath to predict goals in a in a playoff final but I think Appleton's mentality here I think would be quite similar to a the way that he approached the um Sunderland game and B, how Oxford approached coming up against Blackpool. I think they'll go for it. I'd be really surprised if they try and sit in and catch them on the break. I think the way that they approached the Sunderland games, except for that first half and the second leg, where they looked to... I mean, it was so end-to-end, that first leg. And from the word go, they looked to basically get into attacking positions whenever possible. I think that will be the case again here. And you mentioned my adoration of the manager, Michael Appleton, which is totally right and... You know, hopefully those people who who heard me um, crowing about him in the summer, um, who didn't believe how good he is, will now see that you know he's taken Lincoln to to this position. Now he's also got an incredible, well, at Oxford at least he had an incredible record in cup competitions, one-off games. Um, you know, we had amazing days against Swansea, against Newcastle, against Middlesbrough. Even though the Middlesbrough game ended in defeat, where he, he took his side up against in a, in a one-off match and just nailed it tactically and set up his side really well. And that, you know, this is effectively a cup final. So that comes into this as well. So that is kind of, I'm thinking... Critchley's Blackpool did beat West Brom on penalties in the FA Cup third round before losing fairly narrowly to, to Brighton because the score was 2-1. It was one all at half-time. Total shots, 21 to Brighton, four on target, five to happen. Blackpool, two on target. Yeah. But, you know, all I'm saying is this guy's no slouch either in the uh, in the one-off games. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, that that is... It's a very small sample size, is what I'd say as well. But yeah, I mean, and 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 you know, one of them a penalty win. It's, it's a draw, isn't it? But um, against the Premier no, League, I, I, yeah. I, I, I get what you're saying, but as somebody with first-hand knowledge of literally seeing yeah. how the guy approaches these games, I, I don't think there's enough yet to say that Critchley has that same um, record yet. And I'm not, you know, that that's just an angle of maybe what I think could be providing a little bit of value when we come to our bets. Okay, um, just in terms of a bit of team news, if anyone gets that from this podcast, which I'd be surprised about, but I think it's important. I'm going to say that Lincoln will play the same team that they played in the second half of the Stadium of Light. Now, they made a double change at half-time. Walsh came on for Monsmer, who had had a frankly torrid time uh, in that first half. And the way that they calmed down, I'm afraid, I think will work against Lewis Monsmer, set-piece monster, and I think Walsh will pair Ioma. At the back in this game, Regan Poole and, and Eden, the fullbacks, will be in there. I think Bridker and Grant will play in midfield with Conor McGrandles, who came on and was essentially man of the match. You know, he was 
arguably the key man in Lincoln making the semi-final um, from that point of being at 2-2. Uh, now, of course, him moving into midfield and coming on for Scully meant that Johnson, Brennan Johnson, that is, star man on loan from Nottingham Forest, was able to move out wide. He wasn't impacting the game at all uh, in the middle of the pitch in the first half. Of course, they were massively up against it. Sunderland had their tails up. They were rampant. But I think he's best out there probably on this occasion um, he can he can get the ball in a little more space he can have time to control it and then he can get it players one-on-one -on -one, which is where he excels Morgan Rogers will play on the left uh, and Hopper who scored in both uh, semi-finals who's a, a striker who's not known for scoring goals but very much has done in the last week or so um, very good in the air very good with his back to goal and bringing others into play now for Blackpool we've mentioned how they've got a pretty deep squad they have actually got a few injuries though um, Daniel Ballard who's on loan from Arsenal has been so popular there brilliant centre-back uh, he's a doubt for this one. Picked up a knock in that second leg. Ekpateta or Jordan Thornley will step in. Uh, we've said before how Blackpool, they haven't had consistency of personnel at the back for the whole season and it didn't stop them being the best defensive team in the league. So you, you'd be hard pushed to say that's a massive issue. Um, but it is a shame because Dallard's, uh, Ballard, rather, Daniel Ballard has been very, very good. Uh, they, they've also got Ward and Kai Kai make, uh, having sort of late fitness tests this week. Neither of those players played in either semi-final, but... Both of them are first teamers uh, in this in this team's sort of best eleven. So uh, if they were fit for the bench, even that would be quite a big thing for Blackpool. In terms of the tactics, I think Blackpool will play the four four two that we saw them play in both games. We previewed it in much more depth in the semi-final, but essentially the presence of two excellent strikers for the level in Yates and Sims and the way that they offer such a such a varied skill set between them in terms of running the channels, in terms of roughing up centre-backs in terms of their technical ability and carrying the ball and linking up as they did on the counter um, for that third goal in the first leg. You know, they basically work back backwards from there. Either they play a 3-5-2 or a 4-4-2, um, but I think it'll be 4-4-2. And, and Embleton's performance in that second leg, I'm sure, will, will make, make him uh, get the nod on one side of the 4-4-2. Um, in terms of how it'll look, I mean, Blackpool are fairly comfortable without the ball and I think Lincoln are much more comfortable with it than they are uh, defending first, so to speak. So I'd actually expect Lincoln to have more of the ball than Blackpool in this one. I think that kind of suits both of them. So I think it'd be a really interesting game of, of cat and mouse here, really. Um, Lincoln want to build up from the back, but I think they might struggle to do so with Blackpool having that front two, that uber mobile front two. In the first leg against Sunderland, White played up front on his own couldn't press Lincoln and they were just rolling out and starting from there and playing through into midfield. But with two up front in the second leg, they couldn't do that. They really struggled for composure. I think Ioma at the back is, a, is an interesting young player, good defender, but possibly not that comfortable on the ball. So that's something to watch. I think Lincoln will have the intention of playing from the back, but might realise quite quickly that they're not going to be able to do that in the way that they want, in which case Hopper will be very important because they'll be going long to him, uh, trying to get him to bring the ball down and, and bring Johnson and, uh, and and Rogers into play. So, look, I think Blackpool, by all means, can look after the ball. They don't really waste time in possession, I wouldn't say. They, they try and get it forward fairly quickly. Um, but I think they're so well coached and well drilled that for me, that, that it's that cat and mouse again. Lincoln with the ball in their own third. Blackpool trying to set traps, win the ball and spring it straight forward to Yates and Sims and try and cause damage that way. If Lincoln play through Blackpool, can they can they create their own quality chances in the final third? Well, we know that they can with the players that they have, but I'm just a little less confident in them being able to do so. Um, it's a fascinating, fascinating game. I think I've mentioned all the key players, or we have between us, apart from Bridcut. He's the one at the base of the Lincoln midfield. He's probably going to get on the ball quite a lot here, um, whether it's dropping in between the centre-backs to, to help in terms of numbers at the back um, or picking it up in front of them and trying to play forward. He's a crucial, crucial player for this Lincoln side. Now, I think that's all the build-up. That's all the uh, foreplay that we need to get into our selections, wow. George. Yeah, I've got three here. Um, I mentioned the attacking talent and I mentioned the way that I anticipate Lincoln will approach this. And for that reason, I'm backing BTTS. Yes. So both teams to score at 17 to 20. Um, you know, the three all in the second leg. Oxford definitely had enough chances to score in the first leg. Two open games. And I think, and you look at the way that the Lincoln Sunderland game has played out as well. Sunderland hit the bar. 
Um, in the only game that didn't cop the first game, the only team who didn't score was Sunderland and they hit the woodwork twice and Bursic, the, the keeper, made loads of great saves. I think it's going to be pretty end-to-end. Uh, I'm also backing Lincoln just to win the game in 90 minutes at 9-4. to I think that 5-4 to is way too short for Blackpool. Um, even though I, I wouldn't necessarily... You know, I think Blackpool are the rightful favourites, but that discrepancy in price is way too big for me. Um, I think that Lincoln have been pretty criminally underrated for, for basically the whole season. Um, this campaign, they've been in the top four throughout the whole thing. There was a, a blip in the middle where at times they're only naming four substitutes on their bench. Um, so you can kind of understand why that's the case. And, and if you take out that that blip with two COVID um, scares either side of it, they are basically a top two team. So um, I think that's, it's almost disrespectful to have Lincoln there at nine to four, um, in my view. And then Grant at seven or two to score any time. You know, he takes set pieces. We saw um, he had seven shots over the two games against Sunderland. Uh, he'll take penalties, even though he's missed two pretty big ones this season. You can pretty He scored enough that you'll know that he's going to be on them again. Um, so Grant at seven to two, Lincoln... 9 to 4 and BTTS yes at 17 to 20 whilst you're giving yours Ali I'll stick it into a bet builder and find out what the price is yeah do that do that but do listen to me as well because I think that's important uh, okay. in any relationship to listen to each other <laughs> communicate I mean I'm just pleased because we don't really agree too much on this one uh, and I, I much prefer it that way I actually think like this is just my own personal opinion I am more confident in Blackpool winning against Lincoln than I am in Brentford winning against Swansea and of course the the prices are very different um Black Brentford are, are odds on for that game Blackpool odds against here so I I almost think Blackpool are still being underrated and if I if I was to go further and use the Ellick approach maybe call it disrespectful um I I still don't think that they can't are... be disrespected at five to four surely <laughs> I think they might be I just look I, I basically bad, I, I don't want to just keep saying that I think Blackpool are really really good because I feel like I've said little else over the last month you can go back and listen to the semi-final preview for for most of that I'm also not just going to back them again just to win the match outright because that's what I did last time I've backed them to win the playoffs itself Um, I am just going to make a little bet builder which I hope will confirm the strength of of my belief that that Blackpool will win this game albeit I'm looking forward to the match and and I know that Lincoln have a lot of qualities for me it's just a a case of Blackpool being being too good I, I think and I think we'll take their in my eyes, rightful place in the championship. Uh, and, I've, and I've made a little bet builder as well because I've already got plenty of interest in Blackpool winning promotion. Um, but I want my I want my opinion to be confirmed on the day itself as well. So Blackpool to win the game, Blackpool to be leading at half time uh, and Ellis Sims any time to score. That as a bet builder, which you can do super easily on Betfair is 7.25. So just over six to one that and I'm pretty excited about that game. I'm very excited that we finish off on Monday, George, with the League Two playoff final, and it's between Morecambe and Newport County. And maybe this happy year, maybe it's a function of us covering the league, the leagues plural, as closely as we do, and therefore just quite naturally liking teams and respecting teams and wanting certain teams to do well when they do the right things. But it feels like I'm basically happy with any three of the six going up because I really like the way they do things and they all do things in a slightly different way. Just run me through what this is, the context, if you will, for those who haven't followed League Two very closely, George. Morecambe against Newport County. One of them will win promotion to League One. What's the context of this? What would that mean here? It's the fairy tale League Two playoff final, I think. You've got two sides who 10, 20 years ago the prospects of them getting into the EFL were probably quite bleak. Um, And they have now, well, one of them is going to be in League One, having been doing things the right way. You know, you've got the perennial relegation bottom place favourites in Morecambe, who everybody, us included, thought that Jim Bentley was doing such a heroic job by maintaining their league status season on season. Derek Adams comes in and leads them to fourth place into a playoff final. Then you've got Newport County, who we saw lose to Tranmere in the playoff final two years ago under Michael Flynn, the former player who was in training to become an estate agent when he was made the manager. Um, It is just everything about this is what League Two is all about. And it proves how special our league system is and how important it is that teams who go about things the right way, who recruit well, um, can reward their fan bases with 
unprecedented success and you say you're happy with whichever three go up i'm just really gutted that one of these sets of fans on monday afternoon is got, having been through such a a roller coaster ride of a season having not been able to go and see their teams play one of these two sides is going to be um you know, not you know they're going to be upset. Just, uh, just and then, shows just shows how we think, doesn't it? The optimist and the pessimist, the light and the well, dark. Hold on, the all the I'm, I'm, I'm the sympathetic one. Um, add to that, you've got Kevin Ellison, and that is a big storyline going through this. I mean, whether or how much of a of a part he's going to play in the in the game, we have no idea. But he's a guy who played over three hundred over three hundred league games for Morecambe, had a pretty well, a very public falling out with Derek Adams, the manager who released him, um, the made public kind of late at a later date, who's shown up uh, at um, at Newport when he thought he was going to be playing non-league football, who's already on the pitch celebrated in Derek Adams' face um, after after scoring, and now here comes to this game having scored a ridiculous goal when his team were three 0 down in the tie, needed to get them uh, to this position. It's one of the strongest narratives I can remember in any game of all time. And I, I hope, given that I, I have no, you know, I have no um, uh, real preference as to who goes through really here. All I hope is whether for good or for bad, I really hope that Ellison has a role to play because that will be really fun for the neutral. Yes, it is quite the story. And and, and if you don't know who he is, somehow he, he's 42 years of age Kevin Ellison so this isn't you know that there, there's there's a reason why his 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 um part in this performance is going to be so just just very EFL yeah two of the lowest budgets in the division um so therefore more reasoning as if we need to keep banging on about it that doing things the right way means that you can outshoot your budget and that we shouldn't just look at transfer fees spent and wages spent and decide that that's how the league must be decided. Morecambe are already in the highest position they've ever been as a football club by finishing fourth in League Two, their highest points total uh, in the fourth tier. So they could be reaching League One for the first time. Newport themselves have been in the third tier, George, but not since 1946-1947. And at that I'm point... I'm very, very, very sorry to Newport fans for... That's bad. Well, I mean, mate, I mean, up. it was at this point that that basically I think just below the top tier, you were split into like super regional divisions of like eight teams. So it okay. wasn't football as we know it. But I it hope they forgive me. Uh, they finished uh, these two sides 21st and 22nd, the two places above the dotted line uh, in the 2015-16 season. So um, five years ago, they were scrapping it out um, to stay in the EFL. Now they'll be scrapping out for a place in League One. I think that's the that's enough of that. That's enough of that excitement. Um, I also think, and you mentioned them, Derek Adams and Michael Flynn, you know, we talk about clubs doing things the right way, but these two managers have been transformative for their clubs um, and that we shouldn't get away from that as well. Um, and, well, in the season itself, Newport won both games, 2-1 and 3-1. In both games, Morecambe had a man sent off. And that did become a bit of a theme of big games in Morecambe's regular season, having men sent off, sometimes wrongly, but often rightly, uh, at inopportune moments. So hopefully they've kind of got that out their system for the big one. Um, they seem to keep their heads in the semi-final against Tranmere, against a, a side who they also had some beef with. So I'm I'm going to suggest that they've they've kind of that, you know they're past that. They've grown, um, but that's certainly important context when you just look at the the regular season results between the two sides. In their semi-finals, of course, Morecambe got past Tranmere three-two, and Newport got past Forest Green five-four on aggregate. Uh, we reviewed both of those games uh, on the Monday podcast, and let's get our teeth into this one then, George. Uh, starting with the odds, who is out of interest the favourite to win promotion to League One? We want both of them to go up, but that can't happen. <laughs> Who's favoured by Betfair? Well, they can't split them, really. I wow. mean, Newport are just the favourites, both in 90 minutes and obviously to qualify. 8-5 to five they are to win in 90. Morecambe, 9-5. to five. The draw, 21-10. to 10. For promotion, both teams odds on. Newport County, 4-5. to five. Morecambe, 10-11. to 11. So, yeah, Newport, the very, very marginal fabs going into this one, despite Morecambe being the side who finished fourth. Um, one point outside the automatics. Um, it's Newport who get the nod. That's very, very interesting. Let's see if we can work out why that might be. Um, tactically, well, for the third of three games, we've got a team playing three at the back, 
against a team not playing three at the back. And that's nice. I like a bit of uh, tactical variety in the morning or in the playoff finals, uh, rather. Newport are the team who play 3-5-2. They have done since the start of the season. In fact, possibly more so than any team in League 2. Tactics and Newport County have been bedfellows this season because they made a big change. And Previous seasons, they were known for being quite direct, um, physical approach, scored a lot of headed goals, a lot of goals from set pieces. And Mike Flynn didn't want to be known as that, didn't want to be pigeonholed in the way that managers often are, and so decided to change the style of play. And it could not have worked any better to start the season. They won almost every game in their first, what, eight, nine, ten matches. They flew to the top of the table. They were knocking it about 65% possession was the norm. It was great stuff. And then the pitch went bad and then they couldn't do that anymore and then Newport struggled a little bit to adapt to the situation and now I think they're kind of a bit of a hybrid um, they will knock it about and they will certainly do that on that lovely pitch at Wembley but they can also mix it a little bit and I think they've probably if I'm honest found quite a nice balance between the two Morecambe play 4-2-3-1 uh, or 4-1-4-1 it kind of all depends on uh, how you want to set up that midfield three. Songo sits in front of the back four, very rarely gets forward apart from set pieces. Diagaraga, I think, sits alongside him in a double pivot, although he has licence to get forward and use those dancing feet to uh, to help set up chances. And Wildig is the, the kind of most advanced of them, so I might put him in a number 10 role, but you could have him as an advanced eight as well, uh, setting this team up. He showed his undeniable quality in the semi-final second leg. He's one of those players who keeps making runs deep from midfield. He's not someone who is a massively creative passer. I would suggest in his role, his main threat is nicking goals, is scoring goals. And that's what he did in that second leg. So Wildig will just keep bombing on, keep bombing on. And every now and again, one falls to him uh, and invariably finishes it off. So um, that's kind of the tactical uh, encounter. Just the one up top for Morecambe. So Newport's back three, you'd think, especially if they want to play a possession pace style, will be able to knock it from side to side. Just like the semi-finals, you'd expect Newport to have the majority of possession in this game. But George, that's what Morecambe want, isn't it? We learned in the semi-finals that just because Morecambe are only having a quarter of the ball and their opposition are the ones mostly in possession doesn't mean you should assume that their opposition are in control of the game because they might have the ball, but they're probably not controlling the space. That is something that Morecambe excel at. Yeah, it is. My, my only concern, and I totally agree with you, and I think I'd be really surprised if we don't see a reversion to what we saw early in the season from Newport. I think they will look to make the pitch as big as possible and to keep the ball um, in, you know, basically to keep the ball amongst their back three. The, the, the main difference though, between what we've seen before with Morecambe um, and what I think we might see on Monday next week is that Newport are going to keep it in deep areas. We, we think of, we think of, of Morecambe as a side who look to basically employ a low block and let teams come onto them and then spring out in numbers. And I don't necessarily know if they will if Newport will allow them to do that. I think unlike Tranmere, whose possession was quite frenetic and basically quite direct and looking to get their ball forward every opportunity, I think we're going to see Newport adopt a much more patient mentality to the game. Now that could work out well. You know, if Carlos Mendes nips in between two of the Newport defenders and picks up the ball, then he's going to be much closer to to scoring than, than we've seen before. But it, it lacks that kind of interchange that we're used to seeing when when they do break. And also, the other concerning thing for me was how toothless Morecambe's counter-attacking really was over the two legs. You know, they, it wasn't that that got them the results. It was a couple of set-piece goals off the... Off the uh, what, what were they off again, Ali? Off the training ground. I know, it's genitals. Um, oh, the... <laughs> I thought you meant they were, you know, the classic, like, that one's straight off the training ground. No. No. You meant uh, it, they went in off their nudges. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and then obviously the first goal early on in the second game is crucial. So I'm, I definitely thought pre-playoffs that Morecambe were the likely winners of the playoffs. And going into this, that would ne- that would normally mean that I would fancy them here. But the prices, there's not much in it. I don't think there's much between these two. And you know, if I, what I said about Lincoln earlier, how they were very, very good for the whole season, apart from a blip in the middle. You can kind of say the same about Newport. I think for, for basically two spells, Newport were one of, if not the best team in the league, and then had a just a, a terrible time in the middle of it, which which put their season away. Looking at the managers, 
in Adams, you've got a guy who has led a team to promotion out of League Two before and a much, you know, well, I'm not going to say a better team, but a, a team that had more investment in it and had higher expectations as well in his Argyle team against Michael Flynn, who's been to Wembley and suffered that heartbreak two years ago, which I think is a positive there as well. I'm really struggling to split these two at all. Um, if you're looking at the games over the course of the season, Newport took six points off Morecambe, which you could argue was what got Newport into the playoffs and what stopped Morecambe from getting promoted. And Newport's form coming into this, they've only lost two of their last 11 games. Barely conceded a goal before the one semi-finals. Of which, well, one of which was the you know the defeat in the second leg to Forest Green, which you have a you can kind of draw a line through because it was actually a win because they went through. I am, and the other was against Cambridge, who came second in the division. I'm finding it very tricky, Ali, to split these two sides. Mm. I am too. Um, tactically, I think it's going to be interesting in the sense that Morecambe, you know I'm a bit obsessed with them out of possession and compared them to Atletico Madrid under Diego Simeone uh, on a separate podcast last week. I just think that the way that they set up um, in, in terms of you know, a lot of teams basically pack central areas and, and try and make sure that teams can't play through the middle of them. I would suggest most teams do that now, but Morecambe seems to do it better than, than any team I've seen uh, in League Two. They let Tramere move the ball out wide at will, and they were very, very happy with that, and they knew that they could handle the crosses into the box, and for the most part, they did. I, I think a big difference between Tramere and Newport, you've basically explain the majority of them, I do think Newport are a much better side than Tranmere are, is that spearing at the base of midfield for Tranmere, not known for his passing ability, not particularly creative or expansive passer. And when he had the ball, Morecambe let him have it and just told him to try and penetrate them and he couldn't do it. Oh my God, he's called spearing and I just said penetrate them. That's an unbelievable pun that I've not even meant. My point is, George, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Will they do that with Josh Sheehan? who is exactly what Spearing isn't. He is a very good passer for this level. He is someone that can create float balls over from deep. He is someone that can probe and penetrate in that way. So possibly a man-marking job on Sheehan, we might see. I I would suggest Wildig could be the man for that. But I do just expect a similar thing that they did against Tranmere. Funnel them out wide for crosses from the wing-backs, Haynes and Lewis. It worked against Tranmere. The difference is... Newport have got two up top where Tramere only really had uh, James Vaughan. They've got four strikers to choose from. All of them kind of offer something different. So it's a it's about choosing the right pair. Horses for courses here. They started with Collins, who's the, the youngster. Uh, Lewis Collins, pacey, stretches defences. Maybe not the most natural goal scorer, but certainly um, offers a real threat. Podge Armand, who's obviously known for good movement, good finishing in the last sort of decade or so, but maybe slightly on the decline, maybe not great in general play. I was really disappointed with his performance in the second leg particularly. Nicky Maynard came off the bench and scored the winning goal, but if I'm honest, looked very rusty uh, and has done for a few months. And then you've got your old Yellows legend, Ryan Taylor, who is like really good with back to goal incredibly immobile, possibly the most likely to score a header from across from deep. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. I just, <laughs> yeah, I think Morecambe will go with that game plan and, and let's see if Newport's delivery can be good enough because uh, if not, I think Morecambe, as long as they keep their concentration, can soak this up and, and can do what they did more or less to Tranmere in the semi-finals. Newport themselves, you, you're absolutely right. They were disappointing on the counter in the semi-finals, Morecambe. But that doesn't mean they will be uh, on Monday. Newport have to be ready for them to attack with speed because that's what they tend to do very well. They have to keep a handle on Mendes Gomez who will drift all over looking to exploit, ga- uh, exploit gaps in their back three. And then Stockton, the target man, who also has an eye for goal in the last few months, he's going to be looking for weak spots amongst those three centre-backs as well. Um, it's a fascinating game. I think just like the semi-finals where certainly Forest Green against Newport, we said we're, we're finding this one hard to pick. That certainly came out in our very poor betting picks. You went for no goals in the first leg. Uh, we both backed nil-nil, in fact, and it was 2-0 to Newport. Uh, I said the first leg would be a draw uh, and back the draw in under 2.5. So that one was a disaster for us. Morecambe Tramier went a little bit better. I went BTTS and over 2.5 goals in the first leg, which was a winner because it was 2-1. Uh, and you picked Morecambe, draw no bet to win that game. So what are we going for? in the playoff final between Morecambe and Newport. What's your selection? Pretty speculative selections because I'm struggling to split the two and I'm going to take a small chance on it 
becoming open after an early uh, after an early goal possibly i'm backing goal a goal to be scored in both halves at four to five i'm backing over three and a half at 13 to five and then over four and a half at 13 to two or with sports book now we've seen <clears throat> both of these teams well i mean in their two games this season it finished two one and three one um which is which is handy for goals um, we've seen Morecambe, especially in recent games, be involved in very high-scoring affairs. You know, they had the 4-3 against Oldham, the 4-1 against Scunthorpe, um, beat Grimsby 3-0 away, and then Newport over the playoffs, uh, especially last time out, in a ridiculous game as well. I also think because because this game is so important and because one side is going to, you know, for one side, it's going to be so heartbreaking. I could almost see it getting a bit ugly, if that makes sense. I think if you know if Newport were to go two 0 up early on, you're, you're going to have the other side having to really throw caution to the winds, or potentially after what's been an incredibly long arduous season, just throw in the towel. I mean, that is proper. Either way, they're throwing something. Caution to the wind or something. in the towel. I mean, it, it's proper amateur psychology, as we often do on the Not The Top 20 podcast. But I just think this is such a big game. It's such a big game that if things go wrong, um, they could go go very wrong. Interesting. Again, we're not completely aligned here, which is exciting. It gives more likelihood of one of us being happy by the end of... You just uh, have to choose who. By the end not. of Monday. Um, I've already backed Morecambe to win the playoffs before them. Uh, in fact, George, unusually for me, my my playoff Trixie, my three picks are all in the final. So Ooh. we're going into the weekend with some real interest here. I picked Brentford, Blackpool and Morecambe, which won't surprise the listeners. And they all head into it. Now, I normally get two out of three. That's like my, my average score. Hence why I went with a Trixie um, to make sure that the, in that eventuality, I don't end up really gutted. Um, I've already backed Morecambe promotion. I think they are marginally better than Newport personally. Um, and uh, I think that they are probably the value to win. I'm going to back both teams to score no at 19 to 20. I think Newport are actually quite a poor attacking team. Now, that is a weird thing to say when they scored five goals across two legs against Forest Green, but I don't think at their core, certainly in open play, Newport are hugely threatening, and I think Morecambe are good enough to quash them. So I'm going to back BTTS, no, because I also don't think Morecambe are going to be, even though we reckon they had the best attacking numbers in the league by the end of the season, I just can't see them cutting Newport open at will. Um, because Newport, if I've slagged them off for going forward, they are excellent defensively. So I'm going to back BTTS, no, at 19-20. to 20. I do just think it's somewhat written in the stars for Morecambe. And I think they've got enough ways of scoring compared to Newport. So I'm going to back Morecambe at 1-0 at 15-2 to two, uh, to win this playoff final 1-0. So BTTS no at 19-20, to 20, Morecambe 1-0 at 15-2. to two. I also think, you know, given that I think Morecambe are the better side, I do think that just to win the game, um, to win promotion, there's still value here, given that Newport are the slight favourites. So there we go. Uh, that's been the League 2 playoff final previewed. We've done League 1, we've done the Championship, we've done all three on this episode. We've worked really hard on these and we hope you've enjoyed them because we love doing this. It's the best time of year for us. We leave everything out there just like these players will this weekend so that we can really rest up over the summer knowing that we've put our heart and soul into the playoff content because it it really is the greatest thing that exists in sports, the EFL playoffs. And this weekend is going to be amazing. So make sure you follow us on Twitter at NTT20Pod. I'll be tweeting throughout all three games, some good stuff, some terrible stuff, but it's worth watching just for (laughs) for either. Um, and, And thank you so much to Betfair for sponsoring all of our playoff content. They've got a really good offer at the moment if you are someone that likes to bet on multiples. Uh, Bet £20 worth of multiples and you get a £5 free bet. Now, multiples here includes doubles and above, but also bet builders, the likes of which George and I have spoken about on this episode. Each multiple must have at least one selection at minimum odds of 1.5 and the free bet is valid uh, on multiples itself as well. It excludes cashed out bets. Terms and conditions do apply. There's more of them and you can find them on the Betfair website. But thanks to Betfair for sponsoring these episodes. We hope you've enjoyed them. And if you have, please do share because we know that there's more eyes on the EFL this weekend than most. And it's really helpful for us to spread the good word of the EFL uh, and of the Not The Top 20 podcast. So please do drop this a share if you've enjoyed it. We hope that you have. We'll be reviewing the playoff finals 
early next week and we'll join you then. Thanks for listening.